Mark A. Altman, Darren Docterman, Ashley Edward Miller. Three fans who became professionals and then became... Trexperts. Inglorious Trexperts. Listen wherever you find podcasts or go to trexpertsplus.com. Hey, this is Mark Altman of Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78. Available now by subscribing at trexpertsplus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. By your command, here's a sneak peek. You made me all wet, but my martini's still dry. Oh, dear. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I remember, you know, so wh- where did you first hear about this? You remember, Steve? Oh, there's going to be not just one Bond movie coming out. They're going to be two. Now there are yeah. two of them. It was probably in something like Starlog, which mm-hmm. I had a subscription to. Um, and so the, the excitement was building. Although I, I remember when I heard the next movie was called Octopussy, I was, you know, 1983 was a very different time, and I was not comfortable saying that title out loud. <laughs> I felt very embarrassed. I didn't want to say, hey, Mom, uh, can, can you take me to see the new James Bond movie? Octoboom? Octoboom? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Octopussy! <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I was totally excited. And uh, yeah, I remember seeing it on a big screen, and, and it was just blown away. You know, I remember yeah. reading all those articles. They're running out of Ian Fleming titles. What right. are they going to do? Right. They only have, what was it, Octopussy and then a couple of the stories like Property of a Lady and Quantum of Solace. Right. And they were, they were all saying, they're never going to do any of these. They're going to be original titles. They're never going to use them. And then they announced the next movie, Octopussy. <laughs> you know, and it was like, okay. <laughs> okay. And, um, and 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 so Octopussy goes into production. It's interesting because uh, even at that point, people were saying, oh, is Roger Moore too old for this role? And the one thing that Cubby Broccoli decided, you know, he, he basically um, Roger had had a three-film contract and now he was negotiating on a film-by-film deal. So he mm-hmm. had him over a barrel because it was kind of like, are we going to st- introduce a new bond against Sean Connery? We have to have Roger. Mm. So they were in a really difficult negotiating position. They had to basically pay Roger wh- whatever he wanted and they, they get him back. But I, you know, I think the competition was good for them. because. So subscribe today at trexpressplus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck 78. Fire the Rockets. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And today we're going to be studying our technical manuals. That's right. We're going to see what I did there. We're going to be spending time the way Scotty would. Thank you, sir. That'll give me a chance to catch up on my technical journals. We're going to be catching up on our technical manuals. And what do I mean by that? Well, we have a real treat for you in listener land. 
We have the daughter of Franz Joseph, otherwise the Franz Joseph Schnabelt. Um, and uh, Franz Joseph, of course, was the genius behind 1975 Star Trek Blueprints, in which he documented every inch or every meter of the uh, <laughs> Starship Enterprise. No bloody A, B, C, or D. Every nook and cranny of our beloved starship. And later that year, little did we know how good we had it. The definitive Bible of Star Trek. The Starfleet Technical mm -hmm. Manual. The Starfleet Technical Manual. This is an extraordinary book. And uh, for those of you who may not know. Um, Which is probably a lot of you. Yeah, this was uh, 1975. You had the James Blish novelizations of the show. You had the Alan Dean Foster logbooks. You had the making of Star Trek. Uh, I think you probably had... Did Was the Star Trek convention book out yet? Or that might have been 77? Don't think so. That might have been later. Yeah. Uh, you had the letters to Star Trek. Letters to Susan Sackett. No, that was yep. 76. That oh, was that's 76. right. That's, you're and right. You had, uh, I think, David Gerald's World of Star Trek had come out by that Correct. point. Correct. And, of course, the making of Star Trek. Well, I said that. Oh, I didn't hear yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't so, um, but <laughs> But these books did more, I think, to galvanize my passion for Star Trek than anything else I can think of. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, we, 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 talk, well, we talk, talk about it a little bit with her, but the idea that canon is born on the back of these books the sense that there's a universe, a Star Trek universe, beyond the 79 episodes we have right. watched. Um, there's an entire universe. A universe that is logical and well thought out and works. That's Absolutely. The, that's yeah. the fantasy that these publications put forth. And it was really stirring at that time. You know, well, there's a, a phrase that uh, our, our good friend uh, Christian Gossett used um, and I think he actually picked it up from uh, from George Lucas when he was doing some design work on uh, for Star Wars. And um, he said that there are sometimes there are things that suggest a world beyond the frame. Mm -hmm. And you know what I always loved about uh, those books, especially the technical manual, was how it suggested that world beyond the frame of Star Trek. And it was eye opening for me as a little yeah. kid, that there was more than a constitution class. You know, there were scouts and there was the dreadnought, which yeah, I absolutely. just was desperate to see the dreadnought. I was obsessed <laughs> with that. And had I ever worked on Star Trek, you damn well would have counted on the dreadnought making an appearance. I was so, that was my dream to bring that to live action. Still damn is. Right. Yeah. Same. And, um, <laughs> well, you know, we stand ready. What is it, right? <laughs> we stand ready to we assist. Stand, <laughs> we stand ready to assist. And when the time comes, Ashley and I are more than happy to run a show for uh, the powers that be, whoever they may be at the time. Um, the show. Well, I got to tell you, it's so funny because in Pandora, we have a map of all the star systems. And I literally, to my, to my production designer and my art department, I gave them a copy of the map from the technical manual. And I said, this is what I want. I want something just like this, but in color. Right. Uh, which shows the which shows the galaxy and where all the star empires are and all the different civilizations. And I said they, they asked, asked me questions. I said, look no further. There it sits. <laughs> just use the technical manual and you will be fine. 
Um, but uh, and it was great. I loved it. And in fact, um, my God, I must take more pictures that day when we I, when I signed off on and it came back from the printing department and it was on the wall of what I said. Oh, we're going to use this in the because it was just going to be a graphic. I said, no, no, we're going to blow it up. And we're going to put it on the wall of one of the professor's offices in the oh school, my goodness. so we can see it all the time. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and and we took this conference room that was our actually our meeting room for production meetings and turned it into a standing set. I said, "Where are we going to have our production meetings?" I said, "I don't care, but we're not taking that map now." <laughs> 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 um, but the Starfleet Technical Manual and is is just a, a miraculous thing. I mean. I was not an artist. I mean, obviously, Darren is an immensely talented artist. I, I am not um, at all. But more fourth and fifth grade math classes had me attempting to draw these ships on my math during math <laughs> period um, because it had not only the Constitution class ships, but it had, you know, the destroyer, the scout ship, the transport tug. And as you said, the dreadnought. Oh, I love this transport tug. Uh, oh, it's so great. Mojo and I built one of those for uh, a proposed book uh, that uh, was going to happen that never did, but uh, uh, I still have some images of it. It looked great. And I love how it lists all the ships, you know, all the different ships. Um, you know, obviously we know Heavy Cruiser, Constitution class, I mean, the Constellation, the Constitution, the Enterprise, the Excalibur, the Exeter, the Farragut, the Hood, the Intrepid. These were all mentioned in the show, the Lexington, the Potemkin. But the value of the Yorktown. But then, you know, he goes the on. The wasn't actually a, a starship, though. Everybody just believed no, that it was it a battleship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a baby carriage. Um, it was a chicken, not a baby. You, you forgot Sorry. the Congo in the hood. Yeah, I, yeah well. I did. I skipped over those. You're right. <laughs> Congo in the hood. That was a movie, wasn't it? That's Congo right. in the hood. No, there was a TV show about a couple the... of cops. One was a renegade and the other was by the book. Oh my Congo Ashley, I got to tell you, by the way, so Darren and I moderated uh, this weekend um, a screening of Galaxy Quest at the American Cinema Tech, and it was actually very well attended. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was so nice. This, this guy came up, he said, you know, Darren and I were sitting here, he said, I'm really sorry, I, I don't mean to disturb you, but, which was fine. I mean, it was before the movie, right? And he says, uh, I've been coming to your panels uh, at Comic-Con since I'm 15 years old which I didn't know how to take because I felt really old at that point. He said, I just <laughs> love them. They're so great. He said, but one of my now. favorite panels was this year when you guys did Inside the Writer's Room. And I said, the Pope and the Prostitute? He goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he says, I can't wait. I said, we, should, we can only hope. But uh, it was so nice. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was so nice. And um, it was great because we had um, Bill Choate, who played Obsessed Fan, well, he reminded me he was not obsessed fan number two. He's obsessed. He was fan obsessed number, number, one. number one. He was first, yeah. and he he's Duke the one who goes up to to yeah. He's yeah. the one who goes up to uh, Alan Ruck. Uh, Alan, Rickman. Alan, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Who did I say? Alan what Ruck, I Alan Ruck was not in Galaxy <laughs> Quest. Oh my God! He's the it, one who goes up to Alan Rickman. Generations Alan feels like Galaxy Quest, but it's not. <laughs> it's it's not as funny <laughs> intentionally, um, but. Uh, but he and, and he says, what does he say, Darren? He says, uh, you know, by Grabthar's hammer, by the sons of Warvan, I will avenge you. And yeah. uh, Rickman gives him that dirty look and uh, he walks away dejected. Yeah, we had him on, on stage with us. and It was uh, awesome. 
Yeah, it was nice. awesome. And we talked all about the original Galaxy Con, Galaxy Con, the original Galaxy Quest TV series. TV show that we all grew up with. That's yeah, right. And how, how, what an influence it was on this movie, for better or for ill. Um, but today we're talking about the blueprints and the technical menu. I love when we do the hashtag Trekcation, Darren. That's right. This is um, uh, this is this is subtitled a blueprint for fandom. A blueprint for <laughs> fandom, indeed. And uh, you know, I think if I'm gonna, you know, if I'm gonna be uh, stepping aside or resigning my commission at the end of the season, this is definitely. I I'm proud to have this episode as as one in uh, the last couple of, of episodes because uh, I just think to preserve the history of this. And I love the story because it began as a fan endeavor only to become something much more. And we're about to find out in our conversation with Karen Schnabelt, the daughter of the great late great friends, Joseph, right now. So let's bring Karen on. Well, I have to say... Karen, your your father left us such an incredible legacy for those of us who grew up during a certain era of Star Trek. I was not leaving Walden Books until <laughs> this they got bought this for me when I was a kid, and they would have had. I think I chained myself to the to the standee because there was no way that I was leaving the store without them. My, my, in that case, I think it was my, uh, my, my, was with my aunt. I said, she, and she, she, she bought it for me. And then uh, uh, it was only a little bit later when the same thing transpired when I yes, got my yes. technical manual. So uh, I think they both came out the same year. Um, yes. One in, one in the spring and one in the fall. Yeah. It, it, it's so funny because people talk about now with Star Trek. Why is canon such an important thing? Oh, my gosh. You, you know, and <laughs> I feel like it all started with your dad, even though, you know, much of it is now not considered, you know, they've they changed it. They, they But to us, it was it like created a sense of Star Trek being a real universe that went beyond right. the... The, the one hour you were watching on TV, uh, it just opened your mind to this incredible world that existed, uh, you know, in the 23rd century. And um, I, I wonder if you can tell us, uh, uh, you know, how your dad um, fell into uh, doing these remarkable, of course, the blueprints that were the first volume that he did, uh, but how, how that transpired fell into it is quite literally what happened. <laughs> um, it was 1973. I was freshman in college. Mm -hmm. um, I was sitting in my anthropology class and I had this Star Trek Lives ID bracelet that I wore all the time uh, because you know, we were trying to get Star Trek back. It had been canceled, obviously, right. since 1969. And the the girl sitting in the in the chair next to me said, "Oh, you like Star Trek? Do you go to the meetings at Jeannie's house?" I'm like, "Who's Jeannie? What meetings?" <laughs> and that was Jean Peacock, now Jean Graham, who founded the first Star Chapter in Michigan, and then her family moved to California. She founded Star California, and then it split apart into. Northern and Southern chapters. So, <laughs> and what is Star an acronym for? Star Trek Association for Revival. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, 
So there, you know, there were still tr- clubs at that point trying to keep the whole Star Trek dream alive, and sure. we would actually take up. We would pass the hat. And it's too bad it never panned out, Karen. And we would rent <laughs> the the episodes as thirty five millimeter film and wow. play them at our meetings. And the club that year, we got an advisor and we got onto San Diego State campus. And at the height of the club meetings, we were drawing 300 people every month Wow! to sit and watch Star Trek episodes and dress up in costume and all of that. And actually, a month after I found the club, I went to my first Star Trek convention, which was B. Joe Trimble's Equicon 73 in Los Angeles. Sure. So my best friend and I went from thinking we were the only two Star Trek fans left in the universe to finding out that there were thousands of us left. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting life signs everywhere. And that we were not social outcasts. (laughs) We were a movement. So I went to this convention and I came home very excited and I had bought Lincoln Enterprises was selling like cutaway plans of the ship. Yep. And... And my dad kind of looked at those and went, hmm. <laughs> and he starts pointing out some of the structural problems. Well, the pylon shouldn't go through here. The, you know, <laughs> the hanger is underneath it and there's nothing to support it. And I'm like, I know nothing of these things. Uh, but he had a whole background in aviation and had obviously been drawing plans for planes for years and years and years. Right. And the, actually, the first things he drew was my friends were trying to build phasers and communicators. And they were building them out of pencil boxes and kind of cobbling them together and nothing was coming out the same size. And he's like, well, oh, I have these skills. I can draw you blueprints. So he drew blueprints for the communicator and the phaser one, not the pistol phaser, the hand phaser. And uh, so they got passed around all my friends in college and we were all very excited. And, And the next thing I knew... He had brought home this giant roll of vellum and spread it out on the dining room table and started Uh-oh. drawing the entire ship as an intellectual exercise. Wow. <laughs> and he, he was not necessarily a Star Trek fan. It was sort of more an intellectual exercise for him and his experience right. in Arrow. Well, actually, well, he was the one who started watching it first because Star Trek and Bewitched were opposite each other for a while mm. in those. And I was a Bewitched fan. <laughs> so, so there were conflicts over that until he finally said, we will watch Star Trek. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, uh, so he sort of dragged me into it and then I became a rabid fan and the problem with him in Star Trek is he wanted if he if Star Trek was done the way he wanted Star Trek to be, it would be on PBS. Mm. It would be completely scientifically accurate. The ships would not go whoosh in space, right? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so he he fits the classic profile of a fan. It's uh, that's exactly how some people felt about it. True, <laughs> a Kubrickian fan. Um, now, it's interesting that, of course, the Enterprise that we know and love was designed by an aerospace engineer, you know, Matt Jeffries. Matt Jeffries. And uh, that your dad had a similar experience to Matt uh, when he wanted to sort of bring the Enterprise to life. And, you know, whereas Matt designed, you know, um, obviously the look of the Enterprise and the bridge and some of the other standing sets, your dad envisioned 
the entire ship. Well, my dad was cabin. trying to retrofit all this stuff they either had sets of or spoke about being in there. Right. Trying to make it fit into this shell of, okay, well, we know that it's 900 and some odd feet long. You know, we know the dimensions of it and we know the sorts of things that have to be in it and roughly where they should be. So he's trying to make, you know, all the crew quarters fit in there and sick bay fit in there and, and the bowling alley. We must not Absolutely. forget the bowling alley. <laughs> oh, believe me, I was going to ask you about that. You can't forget the bowling alley. But it, see, to me, that's incredible because people like bowling alley. But of course, bowling alley was mentioned in an episode. In Naked uh, Time. By, in Naked uh, Time. Uh, by Lieutenant and, Riley. And people forget that, you know, back then you were at the mercy of when the repeats were on. There was no home video. I mean, you got your 35 millimeter, but I'm sure it was only one or two of the most famous episodes that you would watch, right. uh, you, you know, that were even in circulation. I remember creation conventions used to show, the only episode they ever showed was Day of the Dove, because that was the one 16 millimeter print they oh, had. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, so it's remarkable that obviously he would clock the fact that there's a bowling alley and then famously put it in the blueprints. Right. Um. And, well, I had a film clip collection and many of my friends had film clip collections. Mm. So a lot of what he was working from were actual 35 millimeter film clips from the show and the the bookmaking of Star Trek by Stephen nice. Whitfield had good photographs of some of the props and stuff next to a ruler so you could mm -hmm. project the sizes of things. Right. And it also had descriptions of some of the things that were in there. Um, but it also had that famous photo of the phaser with the shadow uh, that made people think that the uh, the phaser was a completely different shape than it actually was. was. Uh, which was uh, which was fantastic because you know what you can trace the history of fandom and trying to uh, you know sort of create this stuff of our own before any of the toy companies or anything uh, uh, made I know. these things. Fans today just have no idea how good they, they have, have it. No idea because <laughs> you can just you can go out and buy anything. You can yeah. buy a uniform. You can buy the props. Yeah, you, know, you can get anything in the world you want. And in those days, there was nothing. There was nothing. Thing. And we had to build it out of bailing wire and glue. And, you know, no and we, knives and bear skins. <laughs> and watch the episodes uh, as many times as we could or get still photos or yep. whatever. And, you know, I remember being a teenager and it was a big deal if there was in some fan magazine, if there was some little tiny picture of Kirk and Spock. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think also that was the great thing about the Lincoln Enterprises stills. Because it was like a treasure hunt. Yes. You find all these images that weren't in the episodes because they were all cuts from the dailies and from the, the negative. And so, like, it was remarkable. It would just, it made it feel like a real world because it transcended just those 56 minutes of episode right. as scenes that were not in it and, and uh, angles that you didn't see. And, and it was remarkable. And I, I have to say, I'm looking here at sheet five of 12 of the blueprints. And I don't think there's ever been a better um, realization of how the turbo lift works than what your dad did in terms of like really making it feel like, okay, this is an elevator that goes vertically and horizontally. And horizontally, and yeah. Access to the entire ship. It's, I mean, it's so 
it's so cool for lack of a better word. Um, so tell me, because you know, what's so interesting, I think, is that this started as what we would now call a fan endeavor and then became licensed merchandise. Right. How did that happen? For some he I think he started talking to Gene Roddenberry, but he was putting so much time into it. He put something like 250 hours of research and another 250 hours to draw the blueprints. So he's trying to think, well, you know, can I sell this? And I certainly can't sell this without permission from somebody. Right. right. So mm -hmm. the first person he contacts is Gene Roddenberry because of the Lincoln Enterprises connection and of all course. that. And, and so he sends him draft copies of this thing. And Gene's entire staff goes nuts over it. <laughs> it got to the point where, you know, it disappeared from office desk and it's like, where is it? Oh, well, the secretarial pool is looking at it. The janitor is looking at it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You know, it's making its entire way around Norway Studios. Because um, they had never, it? there oh. had never been anything like that. You know, yeah. people built exterior models of whatever spaceship or submarine or whatever and then you people had weren't people weren't drawing ever tried to make them match up people weren't drawing blueprints of the uh, uh various uh, gizmos from gilligan's island uh you know <laughs> this was uh, this was a, a unique thing well there were a lot of aspects of star trek that were unique because star trek sort of kicked off a lot of fan fiction too mm-hmm originated with Star Trek, um, where the fans, went, once it got canceled, said, well, you know, we need more stories, so we're going to write your write our own. But you, you uh, talked about how much time your dad put into this. And I wonder, you know, for, at what point for you, or did it ever go from being really cool to an obsession? You know, where they're like, <laughs> he's putting a lot of time into this. You know, and at that time, it wasn't like you knew he was going to be doing it for Valentine books. He was just doing it because he thought it was cool. 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 Well, I have that kind of brain. It's a puzzle solving brain thing. Mm. You, you know, it's it's the can I make this fit in here? Yeah. Um, the way it was described. So I can see where he, you know, and he would erase Holdex. Oh, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> Let's try this now. Uh did he uh, ever ask you for uh, input as he was uh, going along? Yes, he would ask me or he would ask my friends mm -hmm. where, you know, what do you think I should do about this or that? Or One of the the things that's, you know, obviously, again, people can't, can't understand, but back when your dad was doing this in the early 70s, obviously there were no computers or there were no personal computers and there weren't all these programs that something like this would be a much easier endeavor, you know, now... Now, easy, but easier endeavor. But there was no was. CGI. There was no word processing. Yeah. This was all, all by hand, laid out and drawn by hand. Some of the lettering by hand. There's actually a font now called Schnabelt. That oh my goodness! Is, uh, he had these engineering templates that were plastic that had sure. portions of the letters. Yep. So he would actually be like making his old letters, although he chose to use the microgramma font, and that has carried over into Star Trek productions. Yes, that's day. that's amazing. So that was a huge influence that he was responsible for. So a lot of it was rub on lettering. Sure, um, letraset. Letraset. Yeah, we yeah. went through a lot of letraset, and then. <laughs> 
portions of it were, you know, typed on an old Underwood Elite typewriter. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love it's, on sheet 11 of 12, I'm looking at the swimming pool, which is also the same deck, deck 21, that there are one, uh, six uh, lanes of the bowling alley. Yes. <laughs> which I would love to see in live action. Either the pool or the bowling alley. Or the bowling both. alley, yes. Well, the bowling alley had to be big enough to hold a dance in because that was what Riley was talking about. There will be in a, a dance in the bowling alley at whatever time it was. <laughs> I, I just, I love the respect for canon. Now, it's interesting because this is dated copyright 1973, but of course, this wasn't released by Ballantyne until 75. So, um, is that when your father completed work on? The, um... he, it was drawn almost entirely between September and December of 73. And then everything that happened afterwards were the negotiations to print a limited run right. um, from a blueprint shop in La Mesa, California. We printed mm. 500 copies under the auspices of... Um, he had talked to Roddenberry about it and Lincoln Enterprises, and they were very slow on getting back to him. So then right. he contacted Paramount. Right. And they said, oh, well, no, no, no. <laughs> it's it's actually our copyright, and we should be granting you the rights. So they gave him the rights to print this 500-copy run for Equicon 74. Right. And they were printed four pages to a huge sheet and we would have to cut them apart with exacto knives mm. and then staple the whole thing together um, and there's something about the blueprint ink where it's it i forget what nasty chemicals are in it it gives but, off ammonia i but, I, I oh my gosh on, yeah one it's of my friends horrible. was in a closed dining room cutting this stuff up <laughs> and it's like how are you breathing in there <laughs> All I can smell is the ammonia. Yeah, it's and insane. There was, yeah, there was one set that I tried to cut apart three different ways before I realized that they had sent the template through the the printer on that particular set of pages. They had sent it through upside down, so uh, it printed it mirror image. Oh my goodness! So I have the mirror universe set. That's I only have eight of the twelve pages, but he was a left-hander, so he signed them mirror image for me. Oh, that's like Leonardo cool. da Vinci could write right. backwards. Well, my dad could write backwards too. I'm I'm glad to hear he was a left-hander. As a left-hander myself, it's good to have representation out there. A left-handed engineer, meaning that a lot of his work was artistic as well as sound engineering and his brain was constantly fighting against itself <laughs> it's uh, it it's so it's so fun remembering these days when uh you know both mark and i had the uh, had the blueprints and but the thing is that as amazing as the blueprints were the technical manual that followed was so much more in depth and interesting and expansive that uh where did the where did the idea for that come from well actually the technical manual was conceived of before the blueprints like I, mm. as i said he had done he had done the phaser the and research he had done right the communicator and then he started drawing some of the other pages and he deliberately skipped some sections because they would just be boring text. Right. Although he did do the Articles of Federation of that, the United Federation of Planets. That Planet, is one of the most which was based amazing on the things. UN Charter. Right, mm -hmm. right. 
He had a copy of the UN Charter that was some kind of commemorative thing he had acquired, and he based a lot of it on that. Um, and like all the all the flags and symbols of the right. main members of the Federation, and and uh, and the UFP Two Faces and Starfield symbol, right, right, which actually is canon now because That's it correct. accidentally mm -hmm. ended up in two episodes of Discovery. <laughs> because some there was a fan in the art department and had put it in as a placeholder for when they needed that image and then they forgot to put the real one in. Well, of course, and and pages of the blueprints show up in uh, Star Trek 3. Yes. On the displays on the bridge. And there's uh, it, well, I think there's some showing up in uh, Star Trek the motion picture too where there's stuff flashing. Yeah, and I think yeah. Absolutely. And you Absolutely. can also hear you can hear some of the ships calling to each other right. and it's a scout calling to a destroyer. Yeah. Um with the, the, yeah, names dread, the, the dreadnought, Titanium. dreadnought on Tond. Yeah. Yes. Which is uh which is in there. It's look, it's so it's so much fun because uh we read these cover to cover. We 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 took them as canon because there was nothing else there for us. And it was so exciting to see that. This stuff was being generated from somewhere we had no idea who Franz Josef was. We had no idea where this came from. And it's only now that we, that we get to learn about this history. Well, and he had this whole persona of, you know, some minor bureaucrat in the Federation. And when yeah. people would write him fan letters, he would write them back on that stationery. Oh my goodness. From the United Federation of Planets to the point where some people actually thought it was real and were asking, well, how could I apply for Starfleet? And oh. it's like, oh, honey, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, <laughs> it's I, I not love, real, but thank you for believing. <laughs> I love how he extrapolated on some of the things from the show. I'm looking here in the technical man at the Astrogator which he explains exactly how it works and what it's supposed to do and a uh, holographic image. I mean, it's just the, the, the vivid imagination at work here is extraordinary. And I think that's why it captured the imagination of fans around the world. And obviously here we are, you know, 50 years later. 50 years later, and, and 50 I'm, years. That's I'm, like, I don't know how many times I moved, but time these moved with me from New York to Boston to, to, yeah. to California. And, um, you know, he thanks a bunch of people, obviously, Judy Lynn Del Rey, who is the publisher of um, Ballantyne that put the book out, but also uh, uh, Matt Jeffries and Bob Justman and Bill Tice and B. Joe Trimble. Are these people that he dealt with specifically on the book or is he just thanking them because obviously they had been an influence and he, he admired their work? A little bit of both. Mm. He actually did get to meet Matt Jeffries and Bob Justman uh, because... Gene Roddenberry hired him to do design work for Planet Earth. Right. And he, as a result, uh, our family got to go to the the premiere, which they held in a theater in Hollywood in April of 74. And at one point, I was standing next to Dorothy Fontana, and she says, is that Bob Justman's brother? And I look <laughs> over, and it's my dad talking to Bob Justman. And they're both turned in profile, and it's like the same profile with the same oh nose. Goodness. And I'm like, oh, my God, they could be. <laughs> no, that's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> when he, because obviously, you know, as an aerospace engineer, and, and, and I, I, 
uh, you know, doing the ships and the blueprints is one thing, but I mean, he's even writing the Organian Peace Treaty, you know, in this. Um, and, and, and again, you don't have easy access to these episodes in 1973, 1974. You know, how, how would he go about something like that? Um, one of his other references was B.J. Trimble's Concordance, mm-hmm. which was, I don't believe it was professionally published yet. It was, you know, right. it was out in three ring binder put together with yeah. brads. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it was essentially the same book that was published later by Ballantyne. And uh, that had a lot of references to the various episodes. Um, and I mean, we watched the episodes in reruns. They, they you know, they were in reruns. Sure, like could, and, but you know, there was nothing like you, you couldn't get video, you couldn't get anything that was available on demand like yeah. there is now, where you could actually, you know, oh, I need to go hunt down that particular frame from that particular episode. Yeah, there was none of that. And we actually got very lucky with Lincoln Enterprises because when he started working for real on the tech manual and needed photographs of particular things, it was funny because I would order film clips from. Lincoln Enterprises, and some of the stuff we needed would just sort of miraculously show up in my packages of film clips. You know, uh, oh, we need a picture of a fit pistol phaser. Oh, well, here's a picture from this episode of somebody holding one at this, just the right angle. Oh my goodness! Or pictures of the shuttlecraft, or yeah, it was it was got to be pretty amusing. Um, I mean, the Vulcan Lorette is in here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the hangar deck, tridimensional chess. I mean, just everything. It's such a and and I, I do remember the obsession we had with the fleet, you know, because of course right. back then, it, you know, all the different types of ships, and uh, obviously, like everybody wanted to see at some point the dreadnought because it just seemed like the super cool ship. Right. That, uh, um, but that there were scout ships and different ships for different uh, uh, different missions, and it's just absolutely just remarkable does it surprise you that it has been so enduring that these works i mean not just star trek but the fact this came out in 1975 and again right. here we are 50 years and i'm sure you've heard it from many people and so many people worked on the show uh, you know mike akuda doug drexler i mean this is their bible mm-hmm. and uh rick sternbach yeah, yeah. um yeah well i mean there's there's fans of his that are fans of the show I, that are working professionally on the show now, which yeah. is why all these little references get stuck in. Because <laughs> they're drinks, like, he yeah. should be here too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, how, how did your father feel when, you know, one thing we didn't talk about, you talked about he printed the, the 500 copies for the convention, which sold out pretty quickly. Right, and, and then he sent the royalty check to Paramount and they went, oh wait, you actually <laughs> made money on this. Uh-huh. <laughs> We want to print this professionally. Here, let us hook you up with Judy right. Lynn Del Rey at Ballantine Books. And then she, I mean, they couldn't get enough Star Trek at that time. I mean, everything they put out right. was a license to and print then money. That sort of became an instant bestseller. Right. And and then they said, Well, do you have anything else? Well, I'm working on this whole tech manual thing. Oh, well, no. we want that too. Was there any pushback initially on the blueprints? Because obviously that was not a cheap thing to produce at the time. Um, it came in this portfolio. Uh, it's multiple sheets. It's 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 not a standard book. It's not a standard. It's not display. a standard size. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, 
Was that a challenge? Do you recall that there being? It was, yeah, it was a it? challenge for them, but uh, but they did it. Yeah, because yeah. they just—I mean, nobody had seen anything like that before. So they're like, "Sure, why not?" I mean, looking back on it now, with the way everything is digital now, there was the whole intent of the blueprints was, "Oh, well, you can take this whole big thing and fold it up and stick it in your pocket." So if you're trying to get around the ship and right. Yeah. It's like, well, that's very 20th century thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but even, you know, you could see the imagination at work here because even on the technical manual, you can take out the cardboard leaf, uh, right. which is, you know, where it's clearly, you know, a book that's on sale with the price, the price tag on it and, and everything. everything. But you, if you slide that out, then it just says, you know, Starfleet Technical Manual. Starfleet Manual, technical manual. Yeah. which is... Um, which immediately yes. puts you in the universe. Yes. And it's just so inspired. Yes. Well, he didn't want it to say Star Trek printed directly on the cover because yeah. the whole conceit of the technical manual was this had accidentally been broadcast to Earth during the Tomorrow is Yesterday episode. Right. So it had been downloaded to Earth accidentally. So this was, you know, from the real Starfleet, not a TV show. And and this was the real deal. But how did your friends feel about all this? I mean, obviously your friends who were Star Trek fans and you well, know, they loved it. They loved it. I mean, there was the excitement of, oh, what's the new page now? You know, we would get like a Xerox <laughs> of it and pass it around the lunch table at San Diego State. Oh, it's this one now. <laughs> well, the great thing about it is that uh, this work sort of established the the fact that there are you know, at least two main tracks of Star Trek fandom. Those that are fans of the show and how it was made, and those that are fans of the universe and the, that it predicts, you know? And it's, and, and sometimes they cross over, but a lot of times they don't. But this, this plays to both sections of fandom. Yeah, it oh, certainly absolutely. does. It, it certainly does. Especially then, with the blueprints, you could look at the blue, oh, well, this is my cabin here. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And after the technical manual came out, your father didn't do any other things in the Star Trek, you know, um, any other Star Trek merchandise, licensed merchandise. Was that by design? I mean, was he had he figured he did all he had to say at that point? No, he had was thought about doing like updated, doing more sections of mm. the tech manual. It just never came about. Um, he had had some health problems. My mom had had some health problems. Yeah. And he felt he just didn't want to tackle it. Um, was he surprised by the success, the runaway success of, of, of these? You yes. Know, yes. Uh, did, he, uh, did he make some money off of this? Yes. Good. Because he had <laughs> gone into, he had been laid off from Convair. Mm -hmm. um, before retirement age. So, well, before full retirement age. Right. He was 59. So this was kind of a nice stopgap to make a little right. bit more money. Well, thank God. Because, you know, we hear stories all the time of people who do sort of these creative efforts and never, never get, uh, never get any, uh, any kickback from it. And, uh, I think that's a, that's a happy, uh, that's a happy story. Yeah, when you can do something you love and also find it, uh, get remuneration for, you know, following your passion, it's the best of both worlds, so to speak. Right. So, I mean, that's great. And then also to have you be able, you know, obviously, you know, 
uh, proud of your father in any event, but to 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 basically be able to for him to to do this at a franchise that you were already in love with, and then become sort right. of like you know this right. legendary figure in the history of the franchise. Um, was there a reason that he, he did he go professionally by Franz Joseph? Yes. Okay. He had been Franz Joseph since the '30s when he worked in an art studio. Right, um, but it's it, it's a it's a great artist name. Yeah. It, it absolutely is, uh, and the, that's that's what uh, creates a little bit of the mystique about it, because uh, you know he's he's this mysterious figure that is providing these yes. uh, looks into the future, and it's just so wonderful to think about. And did you get the gene? The 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 artistic gene, or was that not? Uh, <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I have it. Um, I have it in two directions. Um, once I started attending conventions in the seventies, I started competing in the masquerades, mm. both with reproductions of things like Star Trek uniforms and with my own designs. And mm. I have been competing now for fifty years. <laughs> 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 at the regional, national, and international levels. Uh, and I've won best in shows at just about every level. And I started a convention, which is now in its 42nd year, that's devoted to costuming, fantasy, wow. science fiction, really? and historical. Wow. And did you ever foresee cosplay becoming as huge as it is? I, mean, I started you... <laughs> freaking cosplay. I mean, they don't know me because I, it was before the internet. Right. But right. my friends and I, you know, one of the next things after Star Trek is we, you know, we all got into anime mm -hmm. and we made this giant space battleship Yamato group for San Diego Comic Con. Uh, oh, year. my goodness. And... There were Japanese attendees, and they took photos, and that went back to Japan, and suddenly everybody's cosplaying. But oh, that's hysterical! Because I'm now in my late 60s, and I'm not a cos model. I'm, you know, I'm a forgotten entity, but I am one of the people in the U.S. that essentially started cosplay before it was called cosplay. Right, right, right. And it's and so it, popular now. And it, you know, the, and the, it's the definition keeps changing. First, it was it must be from anime and only right. anime, and it had to be mm. Japanese anime. It couldn't be American things trying to look like Japanese anime. Right. And then it became all anime, and it became all media, and and then it became oh well, if it's a costume, <laughs> yeah, right. Then you're cosplaying, and I'm like, oh, we had a perfectly good word for that, and it was called costuming. Right. But I admit <laughs> that cosplay is much more. Um, yeah, it's 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 much it's more much uh, more memorable. It's much more TV, the, much more TV. The play on words. It must be nice, also in the technical manual, of course, that so much space your father devoted to the uniforms. Yes, because there had never been this kind of breakdown of how the uniforms work. Went it's together, not only yeah. the insignias, but the the armbands, and then he has the the, the duty uniforms and the uh, you know for male and and, and female. And uh, so he gives as much love to that and the medical uniforms as he does to the ships. And those were all off my patterns. <laughs> ah, there we go. Oh, that's great. Because my friends and I were reverse engineering the patterns by watching the episodes and right. uh, and and drafting patterns in multiple sizes. So he, you know, he made this big grid and pinned them all up on the wall. And yeah. that's what he drew. So Well, all these people owe you a debt of gratitude. These, these Everyone who, who shows up at conventions in, in Star Trek costumes and uniforms. And I mean, having just been 
Comic-Con, for you know, the, the masquerade, and of course the, the recent convention in Vegas. There's so many people who are all dressed in Star Trek uniforms. And it, you know, it, it goes back to uh you know, again, this is what we say, Trek archaeology. It's, we, here we find yes. the, the sort of the seed from which this all sprung, um, which is remarkable. Oh, and we did everything in Star Trek uniform. We <laughs> flew to conventions in Starfleet uniform. We, <laughs> we went to the grocery store in Starfleet uniform. Of course. Did you ever get to talk to Bill Tice? Uh, or, or I did. I did at... Uh, at a, a San Diego, it was Equicon 75 in San Diego. I did. Mm. And what was your impression of Bill? I mean, obviously such a remarkable talent. He was very nice. I really liked him. Very, very talented. It's it's quite a great thing that uh, that Star Trek was canceled. And here's why. Because in the years between uh, 1969 and 1979, when the movie came out, the the vacuum that was left from Star Trek for, by people who weren't satisfied with the animated series was filled with all this creativity. And the fan base became creating their own Star Trek. And it is such a, a, a swell of, uh, of creative acts and making things and producing things and writing things. And it was, it, it was such a, an amazing thing to see uh, documented at the time at the various uh, conventions. Um, and you're a huge part of that. It's, it's really, it's really impressive uh, to hear the, to hear the story about how all this came together. And I, I you know, your dad's work uh, fueled my interest in Star Trek for years and years and still does. Uh, even after I've become a, a, a an artist in the movie business, so it's, well, and uh, there's so many people who became engineers or became whatever because absolutely they were inspired by those blueprints. Oh, you mean I can draw that kind of stuff? I'm going to exactly. learn how to do that. Exactly, but by people who would have it, they only thought of it. But your dad thought of it, and that's amazing. Yeah. He not only it. thought of it; he executed. He did on it. it. How many people are dreamers? Just have a great idea. But they never. I have a great idea for a script, or a great idea for this. They never follow up. Right. He he not only had this idea, but he he did it, and he's left us this incredible gift. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would. The last thing I would ask you is: Are you still a big Star Trek fan after all these years? Oh, or, absolutely. Has, it is such a great time to be alive and be a Star Trek fan because there is so much to choose from. I watched them all. I like them all. Other people have complaints about one or the other. And it's like, fine, then move on to something else because you have yeah. all kinds of things to choose from. Everyone has different opinions and it's okay. That's what makes fandom fun. Absolutely. And, and, and my current project, my friend Becky and I are building Terran Imperium armor from Discovery. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and thermoplastic. And of course Oh my goodness. <laughs> my first experience with. with Warbler thermoplastics. Wow. So I am still learning when you're green, you grow, when you're ripe, you rot. So we are still <laughs> learning new techniques, new materials. It's all good. <laughs> and and there have been so many homages, obviously, you know, when um, the technical manual for Next Generation, which, you know, owes a debt of gratitude to mm -hmm. your uh, to your father, um, you know, it just continues to 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 have this amazing legacy. So we're 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 so thankful for you coming on and talking about it, and so glad you remember so much of what it was like 
at the time and uh, just this remarkable gift that your dad gave all of us. Thank you for letting me come on and, and talk about it. It was truly a magical time that that whole era of fan run conventions and the whole era between the end of Star Trek, the series and the first movie where yeah. we thought there was nothing coming and so never we would be make our own right. and never would be. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, especially after all the, you know, the announcements about Star Trek being a TV series and a movie and then, and, and constantly being canceled, never coming to fruition. Uh, I mean, at that point it was like, how, how many times is this going to be announced and have your hopes dashed? Yes. And know that you know, it never seemed like it would ever be a possibility. And then after, you know, Star Trek one comes out, even then you, you keep watching, even as a kid watching the grosses, hoping it'll do well enough that they'll make more of these. And for a time, it didn't seem as though they would. So it's just extraordinary. And then ne with next next generation eighty seven, it's it's it that that was incredible. The fact that there would be a sequel series with a new cast and Star Trek would continue, all all remarkable. Which people cannot, a certain generation cannot fathom what right. it was like for, you know, the generations that didn't have Star Trek in their lives every week. Right. All the people complain. Well, I don't, I don't like Discovery. I don't like Prodigy, and I'm like, I would have been happy to have anything <laughs> at one point in my life because there was no nothing. Yeah, we it had a finite it. number of episodes, and that was it. There, there was nothing except for this: the Starfleet <laughs> technical manual and the Star Trek blueprints, which were. Uh, which are great. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real, real pleasure. And I'm glad also we could shine a light on your contributions to costuming, you know, not cosplay, costuming, because again, something else in the process of Trek archaeology that we discovered that we had no idea. All right. It's okay, been well, so thank nice you. to thank talk you. with you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you, Karen. That was great. It, 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 I, you know, I said this in the, in the interview and I'll say it again. That time period is so magical for us, uh, you know, sort of second tier original fans, right? Mm -hmm. The ones that were born during the show, uh, who didn't, who didn't really get to watch it first run. Yeah. Um, and it, the, the time period without Star Trek, uh, needed to be, uh, needed to have that energy and that energy came from the fans. And uh, this is one of the greatest fan stories ever made. Yeah, people don't appreciate now. I think, especially the the, the newer fans, that you know, all of these things came out at a time when anything that came out that had the name Star Trek on it um, was special. That we ran to get it because it was all we had, and for the most part, it was stuff that we had to fill in with our imagination. All that we had, except maybe that stupid Spock helmet. Well. <laughs> I don't count that early 60s Mego merchandise, like the Klingon phaser attack game. And, you know, a lot of that stuff was They were chintzy. crap, but it's all we had. Yeah, it's, it's all, all we had. had. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have 600 hours or more. How many hours yeah. is it now? Uh, quite a bit. Yeah, well, I'm so grateful it. to my, my family because I, 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 in both cases, 
I know with the blueprints, I, I absolutely insisted my aunt buy it for me, the blueprints, when I saw them. <laughs> I didn't know they existed. And I'm in the store. And I'm like, oh, my God, you got to get this for me. And to her credit, she did. She was always really good about getting me whatever toys I wanted. Uh-huh. This, you know, it's what ants do, right? You know, it's like yeah, yeah. And my aunt Beth. And uh, it was great. The technical manual, I don't know if I saved up my allowance or if I pulled the same shit with my parents. But I know I got it because I have it right here. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned during the, the 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 conversation, what's so great is it has this little pull-out placard, which is the Star Trek Starfleet technical manual with the price and everything that lets you know what it is. But yeah. you can easily slide that out of its um, uh, mm-hmm. vinyl little uh, folder there, yeah. folder, and then it just says uh, Starfleet technical manual. So suddenly you're thrust into the universe because the second you open the page, it says. Federation classified. This manual is for the specific use of Starfleet Academy cadets and contains selected material from the data banks of the master computer under the laws of the United Federation of Planets and its member planets, unauthorized use or reproduction in whole or in part of these technical orders or any subsequently issued without the written permission of Starfleet or its planetary agents is strictly prohibited. Official <laughs> version for cadets from United Nations Earth Sol system. My God, yeah. there's more imagination in that one page than right. there is in a lot of the new Star Trek series. <laughs> it, it, it's incredible. Well, of course, you, you read that and you realize, well, what are they going to do if I make copies of it and give it to my friends? What, are they right. going to come back in time and arrest me? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, the time. time well, only on, on visit. The time barrier has been express. broken. <laughs> time barrier has been broken. That's right. Um, but, I, you know, and I remember being astonished. This is something no one could relate to now turning the pages of this black and white volume. And then suddenly you get to the color swatches. Yeah. And it's suddenly in color. Right. I mean, this was a huge thing. It was so expensive to print color. anything in color. Ding, ding, ding. And then all of a sudden you get to these pages uh, where they're, where it's in color. And it was extraordinary. And I mean, the, 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 the images of the bridge and the, uh, the I love the, the shuttlecraft bay. That oh, was yeah. just phenomenal. And then at the end of the book, it has a miscellaneous section where, you know, it's just a bunch of graphs where you can do your own sketching. Which right. Again, it shows you what these were. This was all about igniting your imagination. Yeah. Um, I even have mine filled out. <laughs> it, says, uh, it says Mark Altman, division. Oh, this is funny. Admiral. Thank <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Something's never changed. <laughs> um but you know there are pages and pages where you can just do your own, do your own work. Um, you know, if you had read all of that and if you had earned that uniform, you would know where you're wrong. That's right. <laughs> and this is before again, no typesetting. This is all ha- by hand. Oh my god, it's extraordinary! It, it was so fun to hear her tell of uh, her dad hand lettering a lot of that uh, uh, text in there and using the uh, rub-on letter set letters. Uh, and he invented the use of microgramma for Star Trek that was uh, later used in the motion picture. And uh, it's you know it, it it's connected to our font episode. Uh, I was thinking that when we were listening. <laughs> that, Is that uh, like the Star Trek font? Well, it's it's certainly the the basis of the main Starfleet right. font that's on all the ships, even now. Right. Yeah. Microgramma was a font I love to use on everything because it yeah. was so ubiquitous in Star Trek. And unlike you, this is how you could tell that Darren is a true artist and I'm not, is I could never get that letter set shit straight. My stuff oh my was God. so crooked. It would always be like there was an earthquake when I was putting it on the letter set. 
Darren, on the other hand, I'm sure it was pristine. I I loved Letraset when I was uh, when I first got in college. I made a little side money by doing titles for uh, student films, and I had a sheaf of Letraset that was uh, that was made for it. And uh, I loved that stuff. And I would be making signs everywhere, and and because uh, it was magical. Well, these were scratch on letters, and it was the only way you could have professional letters short of typesetting equipment. And typesetting equipment were these huge, bulky machines yeah. that would generate this waxy paper. Paper that yep. you would then have to use glue and exacto knife to apply. It was so complicated, so that the 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 easy way or the the way for people who didn't have access to like professional typeset equipment was Letraset, and yeah. we all had it. Yeah. Look, it was it was it was a wonderful. It, again, it was a wonderful time before the computer, before the computer came to help us and hinder us. The beginning uh, was a very delicate time, indeed. Uh, and it gave and its regards to Captain Dunzel. That's right. <laughs> that's correct. That's right. The computer made everyone into Captain Dunzel. And look, the, the creativity that was shown in just these two publications was enough to sort of carry me through college and into my professional career. It's just so uh, fun to know that it started in a place of love for uh, you know, not only his daughter, but for Star Trek, because he enjoyed it too. And, and what a uh, great father and daughter thing to share. It's so, it's they had so wonderful Trek. to hear about. It's yeah. so wonderful to hear about. And, Ashley, you know, I'm she's... Gonna do... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, mean, I, mean, I want to quiz Ashley. Okay. Um, okay <laughs> I, I, so here, here's my question for you, Ashley. Um, can you tell me, I don't know what you're going to win, says steak knives, I guess. Okay. But uh, what the price was for the Star Trek blueprints, the price. Ballantine Books would sell this portfolio case of Star Trek blueprints. It was the complete set of 12 authentic blueprints of the fabulous Starship Enterprise. Uh, from the bridge to Dr. McCoy's sickbay, from the cruise quarters to the shuttlecraft hangar, from the photon torpedo bank to the science labs of Mr. Spock, every foot of every level of the Enterprise laid out to scale in, in exact detail. I would say in perfect detail. But, so uh, 1975, uh, hold mm -hmm. it up. Okay, well, I'm not going to let you see the price. No, no, let me see the price, but just hold it up. Um, I'm going to say 1975, that was $7.99. And you would be incorrect, sir. My Six. memory was, it, it was closer to 12, like 12.95. Okay, I will reveal in a second the, okay. the, the, the correct I feel like answer. I the price is right. We are, <laughs> in the honor of the late Bob Barker. May rest That's right. Peace. Okay, now I'm going to ask you the technical manual. Technical manual. This is the Star Trek technical manual from Ballantine Books. Training command, Starfleet Academy, researched and compiled by Franz Joseph. Here we go. What was the price of this little baby? This little jewel. $17.99. Darren Dockerman. I, I think it was closer to 20 but I may be wrong. You know what's funny? You guys are not even close. Good. What not was even it? close. Okay. Star Trek blueprints, $5. What? Five dollars for this little baby. Wow! Well, okay, I'm American. Now hang ha, hang on to your uh, hang on to your hats because I'm about to tell you what the Starfleet technical manual hardcover, black nine, and white in color. Nine bucks. I don't know how many pages it was. Nope. You you went over on the Price is Right. You would be wow. out. You'd be done. You'd be finished because you went over our showcase six ninety five. Holy cow. Wow. 695 wow. 
for one of the greatest books ever published. Well, it just shows you how uh, overpriced everything is now. But uh, especially since printing is so much cheaper now. Yeah, yeah. But um, but uh, anyway, the five dollars is six ninety five. Wow. So, yeah. For like it, twelve dollars, you could get a whole lot of fun. Well, yeah. But you know, remember back then, uh, allowances were like a buck a week. Right? Yeah, that's true. So yeah, it, it all it all travels with it. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that he was able to make a little money off these things because that's uh, yep. you know that that's the that's the real trick, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because a lot of this stuff now is like work for hire, and there aren't yeah. any kind of real royalties, and the advances are so pitiful for yeah. for the the licensed books. Print is but, dead. Uh, but um, but you know, as she pointed out, you know, he had some health issues later on. He re- he was retired early. This was his retirement. This was his annuity. This was, yeah. you know, that thankful thank you know Star Trek, you know, what was a tremendous asset to him. So he had given Star Trek, and then Star Trek gave back to his, him and his family, which is wonderful. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, totally. But this was great. I love it when we can do these kind of shows. I loved yeah, it when too. we had George Pappy, who did the photo novels on a couple yep. of months ago. Uh, not George Pappy, Laszlo Pappas. Laszlo Pappas. George Pappy was the guy who did the Susan Oliver documentary. That That's was a good right. one too. And yeah. Laszlo Pappas. And Breakfast Tiffany's and the A-Team. And That's George Papard. That's Bye-bye. George Papard. And yeah. George Papard will only be on the show if you could find him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and Popeye Doyle is in the French Connection. So That's let's right. just get and all Pappy those Doyle. And Popeye. Yeah. Is and Pappy Boyington, <laughs> and Pappy Boyington was uh, the uh, uh, Black Sheep Squadron. Baba Black Sheep, yeah, that's right. And Robert Conrad, that's correct. Who was in Battle of the Network Stars? That's right. That's right. Against he dares you to knock this battery off his. That's shoulder. correct. And he fought against William Shatner. So it who all comes back the to Enterprise. Star Trek. Was he exactly bringing huh. us all back yes. to Star Trek? He's <laughs> all... one of the guys who played Captain Kirk. All roads lead to Star Trek. All roads lead to Shatner, as they should. <laughs> as they should. You know, I keep seeing this stuff where people put on the social media, who's the best Star Trek captain? It's like, geez, do we really need to even discuss this? Is that even a discussion? Well, <laughs> do we if, all know who the best If Star you Trek think captain Janeway is? is, go with God. Yeah. Look, it's... it's, it's Captain Kirk. But now you got to say it's Captain Kirk is played by William Shatner because Lord there's Kirk. so many so many other people who are trying to capture the magic. Kirk. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. But uh but this was great and um I'm I'm so glad that we were able to so thanks to Darren Docterman for tracking down uh um Karen. Well, thanks to our friend Brian who was able who was able to uh connect us. Uh it was a good thing. So thank you Brian. It was it was it was a good thing. It was it's a, a real good thing. thing. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some great live shows from GalaxyCon, Austin. We'll also share with you the wonderful restaurants we dined in, which That's I know correct. is even more exciting and uh, and a lot more fun here on the Trexperts. I am but until looking then, forward to it. <laughs> and until then, of course, you can always follow us on social media, uh, Inglorious Trek, on Twitter, or X as it's now commonly referred to. Um and uh, I'm just going to call it Twitter because I think X is stupid. Um, we're also on Inglorious Tricksports on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Threads. We're on Post. We're I don't know. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Sky, we're nowhere. 
we're on blue sky, nothing but blue sky. Uh-huh. And um, just, I don't know. Just and, find, uh, us. find us. Find us. Seek us out. Um, we're at the center of the universe. Beyond <laughs> the galactic barrier. Um, but <laughs> you can also rate us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, listen to our sister podcast, 430 Movie, which is returning this fall. Uh, Trek's Tre- Briefing Room with uh, Peter and Lisa. And uh, of course, Deck 78 which you can get as a Trexperts Plus subscriber, uh, where you can join us for uh, Star Trek-adjacent subjects. And uh, right now, there's a wonderful um, episode on Have Gun, Will Travel, and uh, uh, will be followed by a terrific episode on uh, the Battle of the Bonds. For those of you who were around in 1983, you may remember uh, James Bond, uh, Sean Connery versus Roger Moore at the box office. Um, and we'll talk about what it was like to see Octopussy and Never Say Never Again square off in theaters. It's a, it's a great episode. We hope you Many such journeys are possible. Let Deck 78 be your gateway. Indeed, indeed. So uh, on behalf of uh, Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Dockerman, myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course, engage. Amen. On the dreadnought.